Hey folks, and tonight's episode is brought to you by YesPleaseVintage.com. If you're in the States and a fan of vintage and upcycled housewares and clothing, give YesPleaseVintage.com a check for clothing, jewelry, homeware, and some really awesome finds. So go check them out now at YesPleaseVintage.com. And currently, if you spend over $60, you get free shipping on all orders. Hello and welcome to the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm your host, as always, Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, the Professor, Mr. Stephen Palmer. Hello. This is episode 95. And I completely forgot what film we're covering tonight. Um, and tonight we're going to be having a look at another jaunt into the Kung Fu weird genre as we check out The Seventh Curse. But before we obviously get into that, it's time to ask what you've been watching. And Stephen, since the last episode, what has been holding your interest? Um, Asian cinema-wise, not a lot. But I have watched one film, um, something that had been on my watch list for a while. It's a Japanese movie directed by Masayuki Suzuki called Masquerade Hotel. Okay. Um, the reason I watched it was is because it's based on a book by my favourite Japanese author, Keigo Higashino, who you'll remember from Perfect Number. He wrote Perfect Number or the Suspect X films, which seems to have a version in every country, including an Indian one about to come out. But... Um, the Galileo movies, um, what else? Uh, there's a whole bunch of things like The Wings of Kirin, um, South Korean movies like White Knight. Um, basically, he writes detective mysteries on the whole. Oh, he's the Parallel Love Story, he wrote that. So not just detective movies. Um, he's also written a film, I've just found out. He wrote the story of um, Laplace's Witch, which is a Takashi Miike film we haven't watched yet, but I didn't realise that. Anyway... It is a detective story, a crime story, um, but the USP is that it is set in a big fancy hotel. Um, so it's sort of single, but just based in this one location, although multiple rooms, it's a very fancy posh hotel. Um, the, the elevator pitch is that there is a serial killer on the loose in Tokyo. And three completely unrelated crimes have occurred. And there no, doesn't seem to be anything to do with their location or the, how the crime was committed or anything between the um, the victims. You know, usual serial killer stuff, right? But what, they have, what the police have worked out is because at the scene, um, longitude and latitude have been left behind, which when you take the date off that would have predicted the location and time and date of the... Sorry, that would have predicted the location of the next murder. Yeah, so the, the bit left at the first scene when you take off the date when it happened turned out to be the location and the, of, the, of the second murder and so on and so forth. And there's the same time between the murders. And then what they've worked out is on date X, the murder's going to happen at this hotel. So what they do is they install police all over the hotel and our lead character is a detective who's sort of placed on the front desk and he is at odds with the lady what do you, what do you call the person that sort of runs a hotel I can't remember the name of the job but she, she's in charge of the front desk she's in charge of sort of making the customers happy and of course at the beginning they don't really get on because they've got completely different attitudes to the, the people in the hotel. But over time, she gets involved in the case and they've got quite an understanding and he begins to understand what she does at the hotel. So there's sort of, sort of two stories going on. There's a sort of a crime thriller and a, a will-they-won't-they kind of romance. Um, and it's gloriously filmed. looks really nice, especially for a Japanese film, which sometimes always look like they're made for TV. Um, the problem is it's two and a half hours long nearly and it's got far too much repeated stuff going on and the actual crime itself, the, mur the murders itself, the, 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 the unfolding of the crime, it's just, it, just, it just feels very routine and if you've seen any sort of 
Japanese detective story type movies. None of this will surprise you at all. And but it's 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 fine, and I'm glad I've seen it. And um, there is a sequel that they've been made, but it's not um it's not up to sort of Keigo Higashino's normal uh, sleuth type novels. But it's all right. So that was it, really. That was the only thing I've really watched in um, Asian cinema terms. I've watched a few other things, which um, we could talk about, but we won't. What about yourself? Uh, I've unfortunately not seen anything. It's um, okay. the end of the summer holidays, which is a plus. We're in the start of autumn, which is also a plus. And, you know, we're coming up to Halloween. So I've got some exciting things worked out for the October season because uh, obviously it's Hooptober. So we've had the list uh, of rules out, and I've got some exciting Asian summer in there. We've also got our own Halloween episode coming in. But no, I've got various bits and pieces lined up to watch, but it's just had no time to watch anything, unfortunately. And um, I've just been generally just trying to catch up with uh, everything else at the moment. So, you know, I I finally watched Under the Skin, for example, which I've had oh, okay. recorded on my box since Christmas 2021. See, I haven't seen that, but I've noticed a few people talking about yeah. that recently. I think it, it must it must be having a little um, film Twitter reappraisal or something. I um, I would say that the the real blessing of that film is the fact that they cast Scarlett Johansson, who is no stranger to a complex role, and here I think she perfectly embodies the the character that she's playing because uh this is based on a very straightforward book but jonathan grace has gone a very awkward way about it he's made a very complex movie out of a very straightforward book but the gist of it is that she's an alien so think uh, manu who fell to earth yeah, that's the impression I yeah. got from the, reading the blurb. Yeah, yeah, she's um, she's an alien, but she's in the form of Scarlett Johansson, who is driving around the around Scotland in a white panel van, luring men into her pitch black room where they sink into tar and are basically transported to her alien homeworld for meat. And um, it's it's a very fascinating performance by her because she's like very sort of cold and calculated about her work, and at the same time she has these rules that she's chosen to live by, such as she carries out interviews with each of these guys and to assess if they're going to be missed. Are they like single? Do they they work? Do they like work for a company or do they work on their own? And all these sort of little details and stuff, so that uh, she can sort of pick up people who who are not going to be sort of missed and raised suspicion of what she's up to so it's a really fascinating performance on her part the only problem is that it's also kind of navel gazing and it was released uh during the time when everyone's sort of more focused on marvel blockbusters i think um at the same time this came out scott johansson was also in captain america the winter soldier yeah it's around that time yeah so certainly it's in her you know avengers winter soldier something like that that's time. right so we keep having like and i mean on one hand you want to encourage this because you know we so rare we get a a, a thinking um movie anymore now because it's all about franchises and blockbusters and making uh what can we make big money on there's very but it's, it's always exciting when you have a movie that's like trying to challenge the audience something like um Venus, um, believe on a twenty twenty seven twenty forty nine twenty forty nine which I thought was also really fantastic, but this one is just it's too abstract for myself. There's moments where is it, it works. Is it set in Scotland or something? It is set in Scotland, which works yeah, well. I, I, I may, because um... the Scottish accent is rather thick, so <laughs> it, it adds to this sense of isolation and and uh, loneliness because. Much like her, it's hard to understand anyone. <laughs> Unless you live in Scotland or you're you're used to the Scottish accent. No, it can be it can be very hard. I have I have a cust in my real in my real job. One of my customers is Scottish based, and yes, the accents can be um, either it's either incredibly precise and their erudition is amazing, or it's utterly impenetrable. <laughs> it's, 
Yeah, there's a uh, there's a few areas in the UK like that. Um, mm. Normally, they, it's normally you go to one extreme of the country. So it's it's Newcastle is the one I struggle with the most. Oh, the Geordies. Yeah, I find that accent really hard. I to see. Understand. I don't. I think cause it's so close to Manchester, where I'm obviously from. Mm. So that the northern accents aren't too bad. But if you go to the northern extreme of obviously Scotland, or if you go to the southern extreme, which is Cornwall. Um, it can be. A, you have you have lived the country, haven't you? It, uh, unfortunately, so I did twenty one years in Cornwall for my for my sins. Oh, that's there. There's a whole episode to be done on Cornish politics. I can tell you. <laughs> uh, there's a whole episode to be done on Scottish politics as well. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say um, that that line in The Simpsons is the uh, Brownsy Willie sort of like. It's like the Scots and English and the Scots and other Scots. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yes, yeah, so that's why I watched that. And because at the moment, I'm basically anything that didn't make my hoop turbo list, I'm trying to like cram in. So I've stood up all these films to watch. Um, and now it's like September's like the warm up um, to like cross off a lot of this stuff. So obviously, Under Skin. Today, I watched The Severed um, Arm, which is a. I would argue it's like the first slasher ever because it's year, released a year before Black Christmas, which everyone believes to be the mm. first slasher. But this one's got all these like things that we now come to expect from the slasher genre, and many things that Black Christmas did, like he's calling you from inside the house, for example, a killer dressed in black who's welding a hatchet, hacking people's arms off. But the setup for that one is actually really kind of cool. Is you've got these guys who are. Um, exploring a mine and they get trapped in a cave in and they run out of supplies and they decide that they're gonna cut off the arm of one of their group and they this poor guy draws the short straw and he loses his arm at the exact moment they get rescued um, so they decide to cover it up and several years later that uh, they suspect he's come looking for them and taking his revenge on them so sounds sounds all right, <laughs> I like a slasher though, so I probably would enjoy it. But uh, yeah, I've got a few. I hopefully by the next episode, I will have seen a few more bits and pieces for Asian cinema. But because uh, the kids are back at school, the cold weather's back. It's just everything's on the rise again now. So, so on that, I'll I'll bring a horror movie to the thing that I have watched, and I also will bring it back to Asian cinema at the end. All right, okay, <laughs> just because we haven't watched much. So, um. And, and there's a vague connection to this and so I, I don't think I talked about this last episode I think I've watched it since we last recorded but um, I watched Orphan First Kill a lot of people a, were watching that and a, which is good a, a, <laughs> a, pre- a prequel made 12 years after the original movie that I didn't think anyone was asking for now I've I've only watched Orphan fairly recently Okay, but there is a Hong Kong movie starring Nick Chung called Murderer, which basically takes the same plot thing, right? <laughs> that that I don't I don't think I can spoil a film that's um, twelve years old, can I? Um, the the idea is is that the, the there is a character in the film, the orphan, who um, appears to be nine, ten, eleven years old, but's really in her thirties, and she's got some kind of disease which has stopped her aging but hasn't stopped her mentally growing and she's also a psychopath and in the first orphan film that's the twist you think this little girl is just mental when it turns out she's also 30 years old and she's kind of like a reverse goku yeah it's it's a bit (laughs) creepy though because they sort of teeter on the edge of because she's quite aggressive sexually it teeters on the edge of a bit pedophilia and stuff so there's some weird shit going on but at the end of the day it's a it's a slasher film but just with a young child the murderer film the hong kong film which we might get to one day but i doubt it um basically there's a young boy i think it's a young boy there's a basically it's the same thing some some, one of the characters you think is a child isn't a child and um, it's a complete lifted the whole idea anyway back to the modern day they've done a prequel movie now firstly no one's asking for this <laughs> i don't think i'd and 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 because at the end of orphan it you can't sequel it there's it, the end of orphan it's is pretty, pretty final, definitive it? <laughs> yeah it's pretty definitive so they've gone the prequel which is kind of cool 
I, I kind of like that idea. And Isabel Furman, who who played Esther in the first film, well, although her name's actually Lena, but let's call her Esther for the sake of this. Um, obviously, she's now twelve. She's a grown woman now, but. They actually do it quite well using practical effects. I was afraid it was going to be all that uncanny valley de-aging stuff that that they like to do, which is fine for the odd scene at the beginning of Ant-Man, but it's absolutely terrible for entire movies. And the first sort of hour of the film, it's just like a retread of the first story. And then they do this twist with about 40 minutes to go, and it's fucking brilliant. And I never knew that Julia Stiles would make a great crazy housewife. Just never put it. She's brilliant in it as well. It's nuts and it's bonkers. And if you can just live with the fact that to start off with, it's it's both retreading the vague story of the first film, but also setting up elements that then will play out in the film from 12 years ago and they've done it in such a way there is still room for another prequel they could prequel this one although they can't call it first you can't have anything earlier than your first kill can you no they've they said that they're that they're planning to do more if this one yeah and i think i think it was straight to streaming wasn't it or very limited cinema release but yeah i have to say I, i i i hate myself for liking orphan I hate myself even more by thinking, actually, I think the first kill's quite good. So um, if you're into that and you haven't watched it, it's not going to change your life. It's not one of the greatest horror films of all time, but it works way better than it should. Mm. So so there's that. And also, as, whoops, Daisy, as you know, um, you made me spend £40 the other day, well, a couple of months ago, by highlighting the, um, the Mothra soundtrack album that waxwork records put out you didn't make me you just showed me the picture i, I just showed you thing it was, it was very yeah. pavlovian wasn't it but yeah but between you and david brooke you cost me a lot of money yeah don't don't encourage don't <laughs> i said don't david's is the it's probably the most captain of us where you destroy the office um yeah the fact that he gets a lot of screeners that we don't get yeah um and that and then, yeah, and then I go, oh, no, I really want that. <laughs> right, I'm just being attacked by something. Anyway, so I'd ordered it, and I'd kind of forgotten about it, although I think you mentioned it last time we recorded, or maybe when we were just chatting. And I thought, well, that hasn't turned up, has it? And it was all, I've, I had it all done on Shopify and stuff like that, and I checked out, and it said it had been delivered. Well, I've barely left home for two and a half years. It certainly hadn't been delivered as far as I know. Um, so I wrote, I, I sort of wrote to Hermes who said, oh no, we've delivered it. You have to go back to the people who, who sent it. So obviously it's come from America, right? Yeah. I write to them, get nothing back from them. Anyway, Wednesday, I think it was, or Tuesday, um, I get another, I get a thing from DPD says they've delivered a parcel. And I'm thinking, well, they haven't. <laughs> so I went and checked my utility cupboard. So I live in flats and my, um, or apartments, as our American friends would say. And my sort of meters and things are in an outside cupboard. So people don't have to come and bother me to read the meter. Not that anyone does that anymore and you have to do it yourself. Um, which was locked, by the way. I haven't opened it for months. I, un- I opened it up. Someone had actually just ripped it open. So the parcel from DPD was in there and I looked up seven feet in the air and there was this LP-shaped parcel that's been there for over a month. So yeah, I, found, I got it. Um, the other hilarious thing, of course, is I don't own a record player. But it's, it's lovely. You know, you, you highlighted the gorgeous art um, and obviously the, the vinyl itself is um, it's got Mothra-like stuff on it. Although I have to say, mine's got a <laughs> it's covered in web. Of... Well, my my my, there's a big sort of defect on mine, but it doesn't matter because I'm never going to play it. And it is it is lovely. Is it worth forty pounds, mate? Mm, probably not. And I will get round to listening to it. But yeah, it's it's a really nice package, though. You know, I, the Waxwork Records do all kinds of um, film soundtracks in this way. So it's double vinyl, but they're forty-five. So. It, it's the, the quality's really good so even though it's a 
12 inch place at 45 so you get nicer um nicer sound um yeah 46 tracks never gonna listen to but yes nice one nice one and i'll, I'll keep looking and if they do any more nice soundtracks i would probably especially if the art style was as nice as this so basically i've got this and i've got the um uh who did that was it eureka didn't they did a nice pseudo box set of it which yes, is an equally gorgeous gorgeous day glow it's, pink it's, yeah it's some <laughs> of the, the the very vibrant cover isn't it so yeah so all my mothra stuff is gloriously vibrant but yes that was it that so i did say i'd bring it back to asian cinema and i'll bring it back to our episode on mothra so um yeah nice yeah even though i'm an idiot as I've been telling everybody that works with me that I've spent £40 on a record I can't play. Well, you can save yourself some money because both uh, everything, everywhere, all at once and uh, bloody muscle bodybuilder in hell growth got added to Amazon Prime today, which um, I know team member Steph and Mark is over on the Facebook group. We're both very excited about. So Is it is it an Amazon, free on Amazon Prime? It is, Amazon. is it a rental? Nope. It's all on Amazon Prime. Woo-hoo. Our American cousins have had it, I think, for about a month. Um, but yeah, they finally added that and Licorice Pizza today, which I can watch and try and find out why people keep banging on about it because I just don't see anything particularly exciting about that movie. But Licorice Pizza that is obviously. Yeah, that's going to say. I think we already talked about the the last episode that um, how it's already my film of the year currently. So. Mm. Yeah, well, I'm, I mean, yeah, I've half watched it because I had like a a version. Let's just put it that way. Um, but I felt I, not because of the film. I just couldn't. Well, it was because I could see the film was going to be so good. I I need I didn't have the headspace to sit down and yep. watch it. But I think that's one of the things I'll do this weekend. Then if it's um on Amazon Prime because I like to mooch around all my various streaming services and make sure I watch stuff on them <laughs> and. Uh, I've been yeah, I've been catching up on a lot of TV shows on Disney Plus recently, but I could do with a nice meaty film. Um, and in other podcast news, I was also a a guest on the Church of Tarantino podcast, um, where I got to be part of the Death Proof panel, which uh, by the time you listen to this will be out, so you can go and listen to that and uh, hear me geek out over Death Proof. Really, you like Death I Proof? I love Death Proof. It's my second favorite Tarantino movie. One day we should do a show where we talk about our favorite directors and do some lists. <laughs> Things because like it's not that's my least favorite Tarantino movie. All right, fair enough. <laughs> well, but I guess you like Feet. No, I like cast. Ah. I like castboitation movies. Castboitation and Feet. There's a lot of Feet in Death Proof. I say the but there's a lot of feet in Tarantino films. There period. Is. So he's a he's a bit of a foot fetishist. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. So yes, we'll give that a listen. Yep. Crossing over. And on that note, it's time to uh, fire the projector for tonight's visa presentation, which is the seventh curse from So the seventh curse, uh, directed by Nam Loi Choi, um, as we said already, released in 1986. Uh, this film is the f- film adapted, uh, which adapts several of the Doctor Yun um, novels. 
the Doctor Young, uh, if you're obviously not familiar with the character, is an adventurer. He's a doctor, but he's also a cop um, and a seducer of fine ladies, as we get to see the many sides of him in this film. Uh, the film itself, though, sees him rescuing a beautiful young girl named Betsy, uh, who's due to be sacrificed by her tribe in Th- while he's in Thailand looking for a cure for AIDS. Um, as a result of this, he's cursed by an evil sorcerer to, with a blood curse that threatens to uh, kill him unless he can find a cure. Um, if you're obviously not familiar with Lam Ch- <laughs> Nam Lai Choi's uh, style of filmmaking, he's the sort of director who likes to throw a lot of things at the screen and has produced some truly interesting examples of filmmaking should we say uh not only directing this but he also gave us the cat and most famously um the uh ricky old the story of ricky um a live action manga adaptation that is so violent and comically over the top that it earned the cat free rating for violence alone um, and a film that at some point we will be bringing to the show because Stephen, i don't believe you've seen story of ricky I haven't. It's um, it's a weird. I mean, there's lots of gaps in my knowledge. Also, I haven't seen everything, but that is one film that I am surprised I haven't seen. And the fact I love this movie so much means I really should. Yeah, I mean, this is obviously in the first um, example of his works we've done previously. We did Erotic Ghost Story, mm-hmm. um, and he's also a director who gave Takashi Miike one of his early breaks. Um, Mike served as the assistant director in the Japanese um, portions of filming uh, for the film Peacock King. Oh, I didn't know. I saw that you'd written that in your letterbox review, and I, I didn't know that. Yeah. And I did know that he'd retired to become a food critic. He has become a food <laughs> critic. If you watch the doc, the Eli Roth documentary Finn about shark fin soup, um, he has an inter- He has a sit-down interview with him, and he's like. It's like, oh, why did you become a film critic? And he's like, oh, it's just easier work than being a director. <laughs> and he's like, also a lot more tasty. <laughs> but um, yeah, he's now a, he's now no longer a director, but is in fact a food critic. So good for him. But Stephen, I mean, this is um, an interesting film to say the least. I know that I knew that you were a fan of this going into this one so and it seemed rather fitting seeing as 88 films just recently put out a uh, re-release of this one yeah well obviously 88 films are clearly um releasing all the director's films aren't they because i think they did a nice set of riccio and obviously erotic ghost story as well i've yeah. only just twigged that that's what they're doing <laughs> <laughs> i would say that the cat is going to be the the next one that they do which is actually um a kind of a sequel to this one because it mm. um, follows Cherry on Fats in this uh, character in this film. Oh, the Wisely character. Wisely, yes. yeah. Um, the Wisely character is actually by the same author, and there's 160 books mm. in that series. Um, but the the series itself is uh, was written by Ni uh, Quang, um, who not only wrote the Doctor Yun books, but he also did the Wisely books. And Wisely is a character that turns up in some of the Doctor Yun books. Um, and Ni Quan, in fact, also turns up in the film as well. He oh, he, book, he does a sort of a bookending thing, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's the where... narrator. So he's <laughs> basically in this the Hong Kong version of Clive Cussler. Because Clive Cussler <laughs> also likes to write himself into his own books. There's... The, I, I, I've I've never written a book. I I know you have. Um, I but the, but it, it kind of plays into this. There's this world of authors that go to gentlemen's clubs in their <laughs> in their smoking jackets and they talk to each other about their novels while surrounded by beautiful young women <laughs> hanging on their every word. It's the sort of thing that. I think only exists in in authors' own minds. I'm sure most authors are very solitary beings who sit there with their typewriter or their word processor and barely ever see anybody else. <laughs> but there's yes, he does. He bookends it by basically saying, "Hey, look, here's Doctor Young and here's Wisely, and let them tell you about one of the adventures they've just had." Oh and yeah, then... we're surrounded by a bunch of contestants from Miss Asia. Yeah, that's right, and <laughs> and 
this this movie and we'll get into it has some has a very sort of bipolar attitude to um sexual politics where it i think it's trying to be progressive with one particular character and it's absolutely stunningly regressive with everything that it puts on film. <laughs> it's a it's a very strange movie, but yeah, I um sort of I I saw it years ago, and, and for for about the third episode running, I'm going to reference you know download from yellowcinema.com. Um, not really knowing much about it, being fooled by the fact that Chow Yun Fat is on the cover. Oh yeah, the, and, the, he and, has and, Tom and, Billing in the film, despite the fact he's, he's barely, barely in it. In it. <laughs> he's, I think he's in it for like, but he's in it for the um, the book ending and two other scenes, I think. Um, but yeah, and his head's the biggest face on the poster and all sorts. But and I, but it was just mental, crazy film. It's just you know, it's like this. Um, it's half Evil Dead, half Indiana Jones, half. Let's just make it up as we go along. Um, and it's got all sorts of things like from 80s horror movies that I kind of like. And, you know, it's, it's um, what, what, the film we watched recently, um, Zoo Warriors for Magic Mountain. It's like that, but in the modern day with just sort of loads of crazy stuff and practical effects going on. And what's what's not to love if you don't mind a bit of violence and high camp and nonsensicalness and a little bit of period accurate misogyny well yeah i mean certainly the character i mean of dr yun is very much like nam lam choi's style of filmmaking really i mean he's hits so many bases it's like he's not just a doctor he's also an adventurer he's also a cop he's a ladies man he's a martial artist it seems that whatever they need him to be he's capable of doing in the film yeah he's like um he's like a skinny doc savage isn't he that's it's, it's that that kind of pulp hero so h rider haggard type hero like i say like doc savage like um who's the, what's the character called in king solomon's minds um can't remember the name of the character oh, um chamberlain yeah i want to say chamberlain but then i was thinking of richard chamberlain and thinking was that was he just was he just the actor that sean, him? sean um sean connery's character in league of extraordinary, league of extraordinary gentlemen, gentlemen. yeah yeah that, that, but the, that's what it is alan that's right. So from she and from um, King Solomon's Mines, that, that kind of he's a he's a he's an outstanding human being that holds down fifteen jobs, has got seven degrees from different universities, and also shags every woman that comes near him. <laughs> it's, again, this is just a basically Clive Custler territory, again, isn't it? <laughs> because just, yeah. women in Clive Custler books are there either to be slept with or to have secrets. And yeah. Clive Custer, and again with Clive Custer, he writes himself into all his books. So he'd be like the bartender or something. And if he can't write, find a way to write himself in a book, he will self-reference himself in the book. He'd be like, oh, that Clive Custer fellow wrote a book on that, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. His own, he is his own cinematic universe. <laughs> he is. Media, media universe, yeah. It's kind of, funny, really. It's kind of like how uh, John Woo likes playing bartenders in his own movies. Yeah, I, I don't mind the odd director um, cameo. I think that's kind of fun. But um, this is, yeah, this is different. <laughs> it's, just, it's just, it's it's whatever the male version of a Mary Sue is. I, I, I don't, I guess it's a Mary Sue. <laughs> it's better. But, but interestingly, I, what's the fella, who's the fella that plays Dr. Yuen in this? Um, it's Chin Siu Ho, yeah? Yes, um, who doesn't really look like what well, I was ex- for somebody with all these talents. He doesn't. He looks a bit like a twelve-year-old boy <laughs> but, compared to everybody else in the movie. But he's fine. He's you know he's got lots of personality. It just looks like none of his suits fit him. Um, but, and then you when you bring Chow Young Fat, who just comes in for his couple of cameo scenes with his with his. Um, pipe. That's right. He's there to show off his pipe smoking abilities. <laughs> but he's just got Chariot Fat has just got so much charisma, hasn't he? He he just sits in a room. I imagine in I imagine he's the same in the real in real life, but just on film, he just has more charisma and personality than anybody else around him. 
Yeah. Without doing anything. <laughs> I mean, that character would also be played by Andy Law in the Wesley Files. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. Though I don't, I, which I've yet to see, but I doubt that he would have the the more pipe smoking charisma of Chow Yun Fat. Who... I have seen that, but I can't remember. But it doesn't, it doesn't memorably. No, he's no Chow Yun Fat in that regard. We also have to remember that Chow Yun Fat also magically teleports himself to Indonesia at the end. Sorry, to Thailand at the end of this movie, just so he can blow up the bad guy. Yeah, that's he, right. he appears completely out of nowhere. There's no like, oh, we're gonna get Wesley on the phone, and he's like, shows himself think, gathering his uh, things. No, no, he says, um. So there's that. So the second scene we meet him, <laughs> they're in the apartment where they're working out where. I mean, you, you'll. I guess you'll do a, a pre-see in a minute of the of the story. But um, he says, "I'll follow you on in a week's time" or something. He says. <laughs> Real good timing, though, isn't it? Oh, uh, uh, amazing! And of course, you know, he's up to now. He's just been a. A, a, a pipe smoking intellectual, but it turns out he's a he's Rambo. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, <laughs> even though you would you would think with the top billing and everything else that it's his movie, but it's not. But no, Dodgyon is introduced as I said. We have the introduction where it's bookend by the narrator. The, and the author of the books, which is is fun, and then he's shown taking part in this um, terrorist um, standout off where he's like disguised himself as a doctor, and he's um, supposed to be sneaking into the building. But at the same time, Maggie Chung's reporter has snuck in, um, disguised as a nurse, uh, throwing the whole operation into chaos and confusion, and requiring Doctor Yun to show off some awesome martial arts skills as he beats up a bunch of terrorists, including kicking one through the window. And in great example of health and safety in Hong Kong, the actor is shown hanging by his feet. That's right, he gets kicked through at quite a distance through the window, but then is it through his, by his feet or by his knees? He's just hanging oh, out no, the window. He's basically, he's using <laughs> his feet to hold onto the window frame while the rest of him is hanging out. That's and right. there's no way that I could see that they've got a cable on him or anything. Oh no, like there'll just be a there'll just be a load of cardboard boxes down <laughs> but below, he's like won't there? Four feet up four stories up in the air, yeah. hanging out the window where <laughs> they have this whole conversation going on. It's like, guys, maybe we should pull him back in or something. <laughs> yeah, it's um it's definitely of its time. It's 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 of that sort of eighty is it eighties? Yeah, 90s? this is eighties, uh, so. Yeah, yeah, nineteen eighty six. It's of that it's it's from that golden age of 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 crazy Hong Kong cinema where health and safety was a, a dirty word. And they were just making stuff up on the fly. Obviously, there would have been a bit of a script here. Obviously, we've got the we've got the writer of the novel on hand, but you you know that they, they said, wouldn't it be cool if we did this? Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> we, I mean, the health and safety in this film. There's some real standout moments here, because we get to see a guy have a full body burn inside a tent. Yeah. Um, another actor gets hit with a car. And we also get to see how many extras we can have on a van while it's moving at the same time. Which I think was about 20. Yeah, it's like one of those... Um, do you remember in the old Guinness Book of Records where there'd always be loads of people rammed into a mini? It was like... <laughs> <laughs> it's like how, many, how many extras can we get on the back of a truck? Um, yeah, so... Dutchian is then... He goes off, he does a bit to juicing some ladies poolside because, you know... At this, at this author's club, mate, which is also got swimming pools and wait, it's amazing. It's I want to, I want to be an author. If that's what their life is like, yeah, this amazing. is a, a, a the only club in the world which is the only members are either authors or Miss Asia contestants. These are the only people allowed into this club, and he's yeah. their basic. You've got, you've got to be a man over fifty. Or a woman under 21 <laughs> seems um, to be the rule. We also find out that Dot Yun's idea of having game is to basically tell women all the disgusting things you've collected. Yeah, do you want to come back expeditions? And, do you want to come back and see a shrunken head? <laughs> Which he then gets angry when Maggie Chung shows up again to start interfering with his game like she's the real, uh, the real mood killer here. 
Yeah, so so Maggie Chung is playing this um, reporter, but she's also very feminist, isn't she? And she sort of wants to shame him. I'm, I'm never. She wants to do a, a story about him, right? I think that's why she's just chasing because he's quite famous. But yeah, she but she just basically cock blocks him at every 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 circumstance and she's really horrible to him but she is also meant to be this 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 face of progressive femininity in 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 chinese culture but everything around her just is the antithesis of that so she's um this is this is sort of bouncy slightly annoying maggie chung um, rather than the artsy fartsy super actress that she'd become, I know I just dissed her there, but I didn't mean that at all. But you bet this, this is no, this is Maggie Chung. This is eighties um, Maggie Chung. So you think more heroic trio than um, Dragon Inn? And... Yeah, is it new, new Dragon Inn? I think. Yeah, she's, she's in, new Dragon she? Inn because there's that yeah. great photo of her with the cucumber. Yeah, well, she's quite. I mean, I think she's trying to be manic pixie dream girl in a in a Hong Kong sense, but she does come across as quite annoying, and it's quite a surprise when she ends up in Wong Kar Wai films as just like the perfect woman later on. <laughs> but yeah, um, so so I never, yeah, the the reason she wants to hang around with him, I always found a bit weird, but I guess it's because she wants the story, doesn't she? And she 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 knows that she follows him oh, around yeah, an adventure. Yeah, she's basically the uh the lowest lane of the, the piece. She's this the reporter who we also find out is from a very wealthy family. Um which comes in real handy for filling in all the plot lines that we need when we head back to Thailand because she can basically fund a small arsenal. <laughs> That's Oh god, they go to Thailand and she's in his hotel room and she's bought, like you say, every weapon known to man. Oh yeah, my dad owns the newspaper, which again utterly under under cuts the whole fact that she's a successful female reporter because her dad owns the paper. But also, yeah, there's 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 machine guns, there's flamethrowers, rocket launchers grenades the lot just lying on the hotel on the bed how did she get them to thailand yeah it should also be noticed that the tribe they're going up against don't have guns <laughs> yeah and at this point they have no idea right what because the story is about to do, is, yeah the oh no she does they do know because she's explained because there's been a flashback yeah we because post you know post having his game shot down at uh the writers club he gets to go home and he gets to hook up with his i believe she's french um his basically but, his, but that's just at his house he's got this huge apartment which as we know is impossible in hong kong that's just full of shrunken heads and 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 stuff from his adventures and in the shower there's a naked european woman <laughs> that i don't know if he knows her i think he probably i think well, the she's suggestion is she his does. girlfriend Right, that's right, but um, it's not terribly clear. But he also uh, discovers that uh, during his excitement to uh, hook up with her, that it triggers his blood curse, which causes his veins to swell up and explode. Um, yep. And at that point, a <laughs> assassin from from Thailand turns <laughs> up to say, "You've got a blood curse that we that you previously had a cure for, but it only lasted a year. You've got to go back to Thailand." And defeat this evil sorcerer to find a cure. So we are back. At this point, we get a flashback to when he was originally in Thailand, and he met uh, this girl named Betsy, who, for no explainable reason, is always shown in various states of undress. She also belongs to a member of this tribe called the Worm Tribe, who are headed up by this evil sorcerer who has got a glowing stick that uh, decides who they're going to sacrifice to their skeleton vampire thing that they keep in a coffin i mean it's very bride with white hair sort of villain although there isn't the the male female oh, yeah, side yeah. to it but it's it's it, it's channeling that kind of thing and also what we saw in zoo warriors for magic mountain as well the bad guy there just this yeah he likes to throw <laughs> special effects and when that doesn't work he throws his fetus twin that appears out of his side and that has a habit of eating people um, yeah, it's kind of that's... like Evil Dead Trap or the X Files episode Humbug. Yeah, it looks a bit like Chud. 
Um, <laughs> it is. It's just, it's like, or um, the baby from It's Alive. Yes, that's that's exactly what it is. Uh, yeah, but yeah, this baby, this this killer fetus appears from his side and like mauls people to death, and then it goes back in his side. It's bonkers but wonderful at the same time. It is, um, and, and yeah, and 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 this. Let's remember that Doctor Yuen, who you know set up as this kind of super explorer fella. Him and his mates did exactly what the head of the um, the actual head of the expedition said not to do. Don't go and get involved. They're having a human sacrifice. Just leave it. But they, because they're such great scientists, they just go and get involved. <laughs> um, and why are they called the Worm Tribe? Oh, that's right, because they've got these killer worms that will eat you alive at like insane speed. They go yeah. through you, go through fresh, quick, the meter buffet. <laughs> so that's, you know, there's a lot of fun bits and pieces well, well, in, in here. Yeah, hold on. So you, you're missing the best bit of the film. I try not to give away like every single surprise. No, no, here, no, but... no, no. The best bit of the film, right, is so he rescues this woman. You say she's called Betsy. Yes, right? she's called Betsy. Um, that classic I... Thai name. Yeah, <laughs> played by Chu So Lao, who, who isn't even Thai, but um, has clearly this is a Wong Jing production. I don't need to tell you that clearly she's been cast for her figure. And what they decide to do is that he gets infected. The curse, you know, he's I can't remember how he's got cursed, but as as part of rescuing her, um, Doctor Yun is, is 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 dying. She saves him by cutting open her breast. <laughs> And feeding him something from inside her breast, which is the thing which has delayed the curse for a year. But clearly, no reason at all other than they wanted to have a topless woman on the screen. It's just bizarre. Just why would that fix anything? But yes, and that's so. So he's going to go back. He's got six more nights, hasn't he? Because I think there's, there's a there's a blood burst every. Hence the seventh curse. The seventh blood burst will kill him. Um, and then when he goes back, he also finds out that Betsy's been cursed with some visual facial disfigurement. I can't remember when that happened either. No, that's not exactly explained. She suddenly, if, if when he meets her again, she's got this facial disfigurement. I mean, they her character is a very stereotypical tribal girl character could show. Uh, when he's introduced, he drops his uh, binoculars because he's so astonished by this naked woman swimming. It seems to be a reoccurring theme, especially in these sorts of uh, daft adventures. We see it in like um, a couple of the Godzilla movies, like uh, a Byra Horror of the Deep, that whenever you have the exotic tribal girl, they're always swimming. Um, the same with Godzilla and Son as well. The trouble go, they're always like introduced like uh, swimming or they're in a lake or something. And he drops his binoculars and he's like, you dropped your treasure. And then he, um, she manages to smash his binoculars. He's like, it's okay. I've got many more of those. <laughs> it's like, why did you bring so many pairs of binoculars with you? <laughs> I was just going back to the, coming from the water. Obviously, that's the whole Ursa Andres in Dr. No thing, isn't it? I guess everyone is um, <coughs> riffing off that. Yeah, I mean, it's thing. that or it's... Um, Walk about with that um that girl you like, Jenny Agatha. Yeah, it's Jenny Agatha in Walk About all over again, isn't it? Well, yeah, she's yeah. All right, move on. Or in <laughs> or in Logan's Run. Yeah, move on. <laughs> you can go and listen to a three-hour podcast with me and Emily talk about my love of Logan's Run if you want. <laughs> Jenny Agatha. Oh, oh. My favourite description of Jane Agatha. She's a nice girl and we get to see her boobs. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much... She She was the woman of my youth. Mm. Everything I saw and she was the... F- um, American Werewolf in London saw her boobs in that as well. Every, <laughs> I think I've seen it more of Jenny Agatha naked than any other woman in the world. But there we go. Uh, but no, the, <laughs> uh, the evil sorcerer is played by Elvis um, Troy. Elvis Troy. I can't get the words out today. Elvis Troy, um, who has a very nice Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen haircut. <laughs> There's a deep dive for anybody who it's wasn't around in the UK in the nineties. Uh, <laughs> I just say for like for a sorcerer in a um in a tribe in the middle of the in Thai jungle, 
he's got a very sort of like blowed out uh, feathery sort of 80s hair metal look hasn't he? he he looks like he should be playing bass in the wonder stuff yeah yeah exactly <laughs> um and yeah I mean, it's the the fact that we this is a film that not only features this sorcerer who can throw a killer fetus but we also have a kung fu skeleton that for some reason turns into the um alien from alien when it oh, drinks blood oh yeah yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, that's kind of weird. How, I the, mean, the... how could you forget about the Kung Fu Skeleton? Oh, I'm just confusing all my films because I watched it a few weeks ago and I was just trying to remember. But yes, there's there's a skeleton which is as bad as you think it is. <laughs> yeah, this is... This is if this you've is like, ever um... seen House on Haunted Hill with the skeleton coming out of the acid bath and like how it jazzes around, that that looks like it was like done by Ray Harryhausen compared to what <laughs> they do with this, which is basically... Again, a skeleton being juggled around, but they're making it do kung fu. Yeah. Um, it also has lighter pies, but we're not sure what those do at all. No, and then and you're right. And then someone spent a lot of money on a faux H H R Geiger alien because <laughs> that's quite effective. Because they, <laughs> it's weird on the box. It's sort of like it turns into an alien Rodan thing, and I think just because it has wings doesn't make it Rodan. <laughs> It's like there are many things with wings other than Rodan. <laughs> They're probably trying only to get sued by Toho, not by um, not by um. I can't remember this. Who did, was it? New Line did Aliens. I can't remember who did Aliens, but yeah, different level of suing. <laughs> I think Fox did Aliens. Yeah, you're probably right. But yeah, it's. I think that I think that's quite effective, and it makes no. Why would Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen? And this skeleton and, and this thing from a none of it's really explained. Oh no, there is nothing explained. It's just it basically goes in the most simplest explanations possible. It's sort of like we must sacrifice, have sacrifices to our god, who mm. takes the form of this skeleton that that's when it's not on the screen, it's in a coffin and it just <laughs> leaps up, drink normally attacks someone by tearing the head off. And then morphs into this monstrous creature, and then it normally disappears shortly afterwards. So, mm. or by the time we get to the finale, blown up by rocket launcher. <laughs> but what, as random as this film gets, it's much like the Battle Wizard in the fact it just become it's just so stupidly entertaining. Mm. Like there's so much randomness being in front of the screen, much like the rest of his filmography like the more randomness he throws at the screen the more entertaining it becomes and you're just buying everything that is being sold to you and you don't actually know why because we wouldn't really accept it from other directors who were sort of thrown at this and I don't know if it's because it's, it is just that that entertaining that there's always think, something happening and I, th I think actually because everyone seems to be playing it quite straight as well do, do you know what I mean it's not the, the, the actors never seem to be winking at the camera or, or acknowledging the fact that everything that's going on is just ridiculous. They just they're just taking it as this is this is how it is. You know, there's a there's another. So what they have to do to solve the curse is get some things they're like a fruit or something. I can't remember what the word they use, but it's like a fruit that are hidden in the eyes of a Buddha. Which is why they had to go to Thailand because there's giant Buddhas everywhere. But like when they get there, in a cave, no less in, as well. In, in a in a cave, but then there's all these martial artist monks that just appear on it from nowhere, that fight them for ages. And but then they kind of make friends, <laughs> and then, then they don't get back in time to fix Betsy. <laughs> it's just yeah, again, it's like the very unapologetic itself, like oh. Oh, well, I guess you have to remain disfigured forever. That's what I mean about the sexual politics of this movie. It's just bizarre. It's just... Because then you have your Maggie Chung's characters constantly calling them out on everything, but she still falls into the being kid... Oh, she does the whole um, romancing the stone thing where she falls down a hole and gets captured and left out of the A-plot for another 20 minutes. Oh. But, you know... This is one of those films. We could sit here and do a three-hour pick it apart and laugh at every ridiculous thing that's on it. But that would be doing the film a disservice because it's just crazy fun. And it's... 
just so genuine in its intentions just to be outrageously entertaining. Oh, definitely so. I really had a lot of fun with this one. And (laughs) as random as it is... It, while it obviously sounds like we're giving everything away, it's still very entertaining to watch. Oh, mate, so. we haven't we haven't given a third of it away. <laughs> it's, it's just yeah, and 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 I've watched it twice fairly recently, and it was equally as entertaining both times. It was just as good as I remember it when I watched it. Maybe I don't know ten years ago, whenever it was when I saw it before. Um, and eighty-eight films have done one of their weird deluxe box sets. Which is, yeah, the, the, it's it's been nicely um, it's been nicely scrubbed up. So I think it's a two K restoration. There's a poster in there and a nice sort of photo book in there. However, as um, you, me, and David Brooke were saying on on Facebook, it would be nice if eighty eight films did a non deluxe version because twenty five twenty six pounds is a lot for one film it is but i'm finding this a lot now whenever you look up a dvd release of anything it's all going in like the 25 pound range and i just i have no idea why it's not like there's been this sudden sudden shift of like oh we're stopping dvd production we're all going to digital now there's always been like the opportunity you would have the boutique releases and Mm. stuff but um it's just strange because 88 films themselves they, they, they they have quite a nice little Asian cinema thing, and they they do. Um, I mean, oh, they've 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 done. They seem to have sort of three different sorts of packaging. There's like a standard DVD. There's it all Blu-ray, and then sometimes with a cardboard sleeve. And it usually comes out about fifteen pounds, and then it will be down to eight quid in a few months. Yeah, and they've do. They've done some like obscure Shaw Brothers stuff. Um, Hex has come out, I think, from 88 Films. That was one of their first ones. Really fantastic film. And again, I don't know if we've done Hex on the show. Can't remember if we did Hex or I not. I don't believe we, sh- we have. We should do, because that's nuts as well. <laughs> but um, uh, and but then they've done this selection of these sort of deluxe box sets. So this is one of them. Um, I Obviously, Erotic Ghost Story. I've also got Rope. Robotrix, is that it? The sort of female Robocop ripoff, which is another film we need to talk about. Um, the Cat, I think they have done The Cat actually, thinking about it. Maybe not. But th- there's about five or six of them, but they're £10 more for uses up twice as much space on the shelf. They are nice. And I'm lucky, right? I'm a single middle aged man. I've got some disposable income. Hey, I spend £40 on records I can't play. But I, I think. Um, you know that's it's not great for everybody and these films aren't you know we talk about the um compared to an arrow release yeah with all the extra features that you actually get on the disc in terms of video essays and commentaries and so on and so forth these don't have as much um so you're paying for a big cardboard box you're paying for a nice photo book but it's only the size of postcards yeah it's not um it's not like that Criterion Godzilla set which you can sort of coffee table. Um, so I don't want to. I don't want to slag off eighty-eight films, but we'd be quite happy if they were ten-pound releases without all the all the extras. I think because people should be able to see this because it's great. And what's it available on? Plex, whatever Plex is in the UK. But yes, sorry, my rant over (laughs) at the price of DVDs and Blu-rays. Yes, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a bugger, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I keep hoping that like eighty-eight films uh, do a deal with like Arrow Player, like the same way that we have they've done with like Terracotta, and more recently I think they've done with the BFI because they've decided all the Kurosawa movies on there, Mm. which I believe uh, handles here in the UK by the BFI. So. Um, it'd be really great if uh, 88 Films can do some sort of deal with uh, with with player to add some of their titles on there because as you said already there's a lot of interesting titles that they've been putting out like Mothra and obviously this now so uh, they're fast becoming like one of those labels to watch certainly. Um, I mean they are boutique and they don't, you know, like Arrow they don't just do Hong Kong and, and, and um, Asian cinema you know, they've got they, they're, they're sort of 
wibbling around the sort of the weird, aren't they? Is 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 what they do. But it would be nice to have a, a streaming service version of them. I'm guessing it's also quite nice that they're not part of the Terracotta Third Window Films um, conglomerate. So it's nice that they're they're a different voice. They are very boutique. I have to say that as well which is which is nice it's nice that they exist we've talked about this before you know we're in a a great time for asian cinema being able to be made on physical media but i just think i just think i think if this appeared on netflix or amazon prime it would be number one in trending straight away <laughs> <laughs> it's got a real sort of word of mouth appeal to it certainly mm. that um yeah, I think it's definitely one worth uh, checking out. Whether you, if you can re- find someone to rent it online, uh, or just uh, if you pick up the eighty-eight films release, um, either way, I think it's uh, well worth your time checking out. And a uh, great companion piece to Big Trouble in Little China, if you've uh, want something to pair this with. Mm, absolutely. Which is what I've always been on the lookout for. Ever since I saw Big Trouble in Little China, I was always on the lookout for something to pair it with and. Obviously, you come across bits and pieces like, oh, you like the Battle Wizard works pretty well, or you like Lone Wolf and Cubs. Or... I think this is uh, the closest you can get in terms of setting to uh, Big Trouble in Little China. So. Indeed. And, absolutely. Uh, in which case, also enjoy it before The Rock ruins it. <laughs> is he doing a remake, is he? He is. So, can't wait to see how that one turns out. Yeah, that brings us to the end of tonight's episode. Thank you, as always, for listening. If you haven't already, please do hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to be listening to us. Leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the show. Uh, if you've got any questions for ourselves, let us know on our um, for our, our website, which is asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com. There's a contact us section there, and you can send across all your questions about Asian cinema. Let us know your points on uh, any films that we covered on the show. Or anything you think we should be checking out, let us know. Uh, you can also get in touch with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Come say hi to us there. And uh, Stephen, it's your turn to choose next. What are we going to be watching? I would like to do a mainland Chinese film. Um, so back in the day, obviously, we had um, Ang Lee's... Uh, crikey, what's it called? Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yes. Which, you know, got a real mainstream release. Won Oscars, I think. It did. And and and, and sort of, sort of, we had we had we had the um, we obviously had the J horror boom, but also we had Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which exposed a bunch of um, no, sorry, Wuxia movies became a thing, and um, we had um. Crikey, I've forgotten the director's Fancy name. Zhang Yimou. Zhang Yimou, thank you. You know, I think you might know sort of where we're going with this. Um, <laughs> whose whose hero also sort of got released on on the on the on the coattails of that and House of the Flying Daggers, um, which is also very popular. Yep, but I would Tarantino like to bring. Produce. Say again. They were uh, brought across as Quentin Tarantino presents. Gotcha. Um, that, that, to that's avoid right. Weinstein yeah. messing with them. Got, that's right. I haven't seen the third film in the. In oh the, right. In the Curse of the Golden Flower, right, which stars Chow Yun Fat. It does, and it also has Jay Chu, who we've talked about before, um, the ridiculously talented Jay Chu, mm-hmm. who's also quite wooden, and um, and also the great Gong Li, who is probably the greatest Chinese female actress of all time, and I don't think we've done anything with her in. Um, yeah, I have a I have a copy of this. From our favourite place, CEX, for fifty p. <laughs> I'm really like to watch it, um, and and so I'd like to invite you to watch Curse of the Golden Flower with me. Fantastic, Curse of the Golden Flower is very interesting, different than the first two entries, obviously Hero and House of Flying Daggers. Um, so it would be interesting to see what you make of the change in direction of this, and obviously Zhang uh, Zimou also would go on to direct Shadow, which is also really fantastic as well. So. Um, have we have we done any Zhang Zimou films? We've in my head mentioned we've Shadow in passing because I'd, I've, I said yeah, you, you, um, you I said did you it as a, what you you've been like, I'm right on it, and then never watched it. Okay, I've got it. I've literally got the. It's on my watch pile. It's sitting there. Um, 
I, 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 well, we'll we'll talk about it next time. But he's he's a director I struggle with. I think visually astonishing. I think I sometimes fail mm. to connect with it, which is probably why I've never watched it. But I'm really keen to do so, and I think a bit of a uh, bit of Gong Lee goodness is um no definitely. About, I think about, uh, about unfortunately, because it was obviously falling on for House of Line, people would have um. <sighs> Art house badassery, mm. um, and Curse of the Golden Flower is went in a very different direction. But unfortunately, the audiences, I think, a lot of people missed it. Um, so it'd be good to um, to bring it to the show and and um, and and uh, and look at that one. So yes, on our, so we'll obviously look at Curse of the Golden Flower. But uh, until then, thank you as always for listening, and thanks to my costume. Pleasure as always. And uh, we'll be back next time to talk about Golden Flap. Until then, good night. Hey! 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 This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.